Well, good morning to those in this room, to uh, those down, down in the venue, as well as those joining us online. It's great to be together this morning. I want to mention a couple things before we look at the, the sermon. In terms of membership matters this afternoon, if somehow you just can't figure out how to get signed up, like Sam encouraged you to on the video earlier, just show up. Uh, we'll be down in the venue on the north end. Um, Wednesday night, we have a special opportunity to have Luther Eatman, the pastor of Bridge Hope Community Church in Kansas City, come and, and be with us. Uh, Luther, if you've never heard Luther speak, he's an African-American African uh, pastor in a church in the urban core of Kansas City. And we've asked him to come and speak on the topic of racism. What questions should we be asking? We, uh, we appreciate Luther's experience, his theology, and think he'd just be a great person to come and uh, help us have a conversation about this. So he's going to share for a little bit, and then there'll be Q&A uh, at the, about half the time of Q&A. So there is no child care for that. We apologize for that. Um, the last thing I want to mention is Friday night. Uh, there's, there's been a group of about 50 people that have been going through our Rooted experience this spring, and Friday night is our celebration uh, night for that. And so if you've been kind of hearing something about Rooted and want to get a taste of that, we invite you to come to the celebration night. There will be five or six people baptized as part of the celebration night, so uh, that will be real fun. That will be in this room at uh, 7 p.m. on uh, Friday night. Well, most of us have had the experience of showing up at a mall or a zoo or an amusement park. And, you know, when you first get there, if you've never been there, it can be disoriented, disorienting, right? Like, where, where is everything? And so what do you do? Like, let's say you go to the mall. What do you do to get oriented? Well, they always have that little map, right, that, that shows all the stores and the little star that says, you are here. And so if you show up to the Oak Park Mall in Overland Park, Kansas City, area. And if, if you see this map, you know that if you're coming out of Dillard South and you want to go to Macy's, you got to go right, right? That you are here helps you know where you're at and how to take the next steps to get where you want to go. Well, like a you are here map, John wants us to understand kind of where we're at spiritually. He wants us to understand where we're at in terms of God. Do we know him? Do we not. He wants us to be very clear about that so that we can discern our next steps as well. And he does that in the, the whole book of 1 John by giving us a, a number of tests that we can apply to ourselves to see where are we at with God. And so today he's going to talk about the test of obedience, the test of obedience. As we look at this today, the, the main truth that he wants us to understand is that a lifestyle of obedience is evidence that one truly knows God. A lifestyle of obedience is is evidence that one truly knows God. This morning, we're looking at 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. And so I want to look at this test of obedience. It's pretty straightforward, pretty clear. So I want to look at that and then talk about some points of application at the end, as well as some clarification, because I think there is some clarification that uh, we need to make around this test. And so let's start by looking in verse 3. He writes this. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Pretty straightforward, right? By this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, when John talks about knowing God, he's not just talking about information about God. He's not just talking about theoretical knowledge about God. He's talking about experientially knowing God. He's talking about the fact that, that we have a spiritual relationship with him. And he says the way that anyone can discern whether we really know God is on the basis of, of obedience. Do we keep his commandments? His point is going to be that if we know God, 
it will have a powerful effect on our lives. It will change our lives. It will lead to a lifestyle of obedience. Now, he doesn't necessarily say what commandments he's talking about here, and so we should probably understand it's, it's all that God commands. But it's also helpful to understand how he uses the word command in singular and plural forms in this book. When it's singular, uh, seven times when he uses it in the singular form, it is always talking about the command to love one another. In all but two of the times when it's plural, the context still tells us he's talking about love for one another. That's just such a theme in this book. And so our text here, it's not clear what he's talking about, but the fact that love for one another is such an emphasis in the whole letter, uh, it probably is foremost on his mind even here as well. Now, this maybe raises a question, right? Like, is he saying that unless I obey perfectly, you know, I can't claim to know God? Is he talking about we need to have perfect obedience to make this claim? Again, as you think about the context of what he's already talked about, back in chapter 1, verse 10, he, he made the point that if we say we have not sinned, we're, we're lying, right? And so, contextually, he's already talked about the reality that we do sin. That that's why, why Jesus is our advocate. We looked at that last week. What John is talking about is what characterizes our lives. Yes, we still sin at times. We all do. But is there a pattern of obedience. If so, that is evidence that someone truly knows God. In verse 4, he makes essentially the same point, but here he does it from the negative, uh, as a kind of a negative example. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, if you've been with us, you know that um, part of what John is doing in this letter is he's addressing a group of people that had left the church. They were these uh, and the kind of false teachers that, that were, were strained from the truth or never were of the truth. And they were probably seeking to, to influence John's readers and, and lead them astray. And likely they were making claims to have special knowledge about God, creating doubts and uncertainty in John's readers. And so when John says, whoever says I know him, it's these people probably he has in view. They were making claims to know God, but John's point again is the test is always obedience. One of the things that's really important in understanding our passage and really so much of 1 John is, is grammar. Um, he, so many of these verbs, and this one is one where it's a present tense verb. And so when he says he does not keep, he's talking about ongoing disobedience. He's, he's not talking about occasions when a person slips up and sins. He's talking about a pattern. He's talking about a pattern of disobedience. And so to claim to know God when one lives a lifestyle of, of disobedience, he says that person is a liar. The truth is not in that person. The claim to know God, that's fine to make that claim, but it needs to be backed up with obedience. That's the test. Verse 5, he, he adds a key insight into the connection between knowing God and obedience. And he says this, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And so obeying is connected to our love for God. The one who keeps his word, God's word, is someone in whom the love of God is perfected. Again, keeps his present tense here. He's talking about patterns. He's talking about ongoing obedience. So what does the phrase, love of God is perfected, mean? 
Well, love of God, it could actually be translated several different ways. Um, it could mean God's love for us, uh, but that doesn't make a lot of sense that it could be perfected. It is perfect. It could mean love that's produced by God, or it could mean our love for God. And most commentators understand it that way, that, that what he's actually talking about here is our love for God. And so what he's saying is that, that whoever keeps his word in that person, our love for God is perfected, and perfected has a sense of it's, it's accomplishing what it should. It's, it's reaching its intended end, its intended goal. And so if you're obeying, it means that your love is, is doing what it should do. It's leading you to this life of obedience, a life characterized by, by walking with God and doing what he says. Now, in the second half of verse 5, he, John uses the same phrase he did in verse 3 where he says, by this we may know. And sometimes in the book of John, that refers to things he just said. Sometimes it refers to things he is going to say. And so the ESV translation, as most translations do, it, it punctuates this in a way that it connects to what he's going to say, right? By this we may know that we are in him. And then there's the colon, right? And so it's what, what's coming in verse 6 is, the way we may know that we're in him. But before we look at verse 6, I want to look at one little phrase in this last part of verse 5, and it's that we are in him. We are in him. By saying this, he's sort of hinting at what he's going to clearly say in verse 6. He's communicating the, the idea that as believers, we are in Christ. We exist in him. We live in him. Very similar to what John talks about in John 15, uh, 4 and 5, where he talks about we, we abide in him and he abides in us. There's this, this, this uh, kind of spiritual reality that, that we are actually in him. And so how do you really know that, that we're in Christ, uh, how we are living in him? In verse 6, he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. So it's the same point he's made in verse 3, Right? He said that if we know him, we will keep his commandments. But again, there's a nuance in this verse that is really important. If someone makes a claim to abide in Jesus, the truth of that claim is going to be demonstrated by do we walk in the same way that Jesus walked? He says we ought to walk. In in a sense, he's saying it's it's a must. It's it's an obligation. If I'm claiming to, to know him, and abide in him, I'm going to walk. I'm going to live like he lived. We will follow the pattern of Jesus' life. This is the proof of abiding in him. This is the proof of knowing him. And so if I claim to abide in Jesus, my life should increasingly look like his. This all makes so much sense, right? I mean, it makes perfect sense. If I exist in him, if 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 the very life of Jesus is in me, then the life of Jesus will transform me, increasingly making me more and more like him. And so I think it's really important to see that John is, is talking about obedience in very relational terms here. It's a person we follow. It's Jesus that we follow. We obey because we're in a relationship with him. We can obey because we're in a relationship with him. So anyone can make the claim to know God. There's nothing wrong with that. But the test of whether or not this is true is obedience. A lifestyle of obedience is evidence 
the one truly knows God. Now, I want to think about some points of application that, that comes out of this text, but also make some, some clarifications that I think are really important. First, this truth serves as both a warning and an encouragement. There's a warning here, and there's an encouragement here. It's a warning to those who claim to know God, and yet really don't obey God, who do not have a pattern of walking in the way that Jesus walked. And I think the people that this can be the most, um, uh, how do I want to say, confusion about whether a person really knows God, it, it might show up most in the person who's grown up in the church, who's always been around conversations about God and teaching about God, right? Just, just the, all of that history and all the information that you have can sometimes cause someone to assume, well, because of that, surely I know God. And yet all of that history and all of that knowledge doesn't make someone a believer. And so if there's no pattern of obedience, there's a warning here. There's a warning that would say, hey, take some time for some self-reflection. Where are you really? Where are you you at in, in, in your relationship with God? He's given you a you are here kind of orientation. And and I'm not saying we don't struggle a lot sometimes in the Christian life, but if there's no pattern of a growing obedience, there's a warning here to consider. One of the best things to do if you're trying to sort this out would be to talk to a friend, talk to someone that that you know is walking with Jesus, someone that could could help you think through this. And if you're unsure who to talk to, uh, one of the ways you could get connected to someone to to help you think through this, if you go to the, the Church Center app that we're always talking about, um, you can get there through the app, the, kind of the front page of that. Or if you go on our website on the bottom right, there's a Faith Church Center button. Right at the front, there's these series of buttons you can click. And one is called Follow Christ. And if you want to talk to someone, just follow that link. There's some information you can give there about kind of what you're asking. And we can get you connected to someone to help you think through this. I mean, it's really important. If you sense a warning from this passage, let me encourage you to talk to someone. But it's also an encouragement, right? It is an encouragement that John writes here. If you consider the test of obedience and what you see in yourself is growing obedience, desire to obey, then John wants you to be encouraged. Your obedience points to the truth that you actually know God, and that's an amazing thing. John is writing so that believers would have confidence in our standing with God. He doesn't want us walking around in, in doubt and insecurity. He wants us to have confidence. And so if you have a lifestyle of growing obedience, he wants you to be encouraged by that truth. Let me say a word to new believers as we think about this test of obedience. Scripture teaches that the moment we trust Christ... From that point to the day we die or Jesus returns and takes us to heaven, that whole life is a life of spiritual transformation. It's a life of growth. We are to increasingly become like Jesus. And it'll never stop. We will never arrive. As a new believer, you are just on the very front end of this journey. And so maybe you'll look at people who walk the Christian life a lot longer and you think, man, there's so many areas in my life that I'm still messing up. And it can make you wonder, do I really believe? Have I really come to know God? I think the thing for you to consider is uh, notice uh, your, your longings, your desires. Have you seen new desires to obey, 
new desires to, to live in a different way? Do you see as you're learning that, that you're actually moving towards obedience? See, I don't think he's talking about perfect obedience right now. He's talking about the pattern of our lives. And so do you see new longings, new desires, new behaviors? And some people, when they become a believer, like the change in desires and behavior is dramatic. And there's so much transformation and change that happens right away. But for others, it's sort of this slow, steady progress. And it happens, it, it could be either way. And my encouragement to you is just the, the, to, to look at what you see as the pattern, right? Is there new desires, new longings, uh, new behaviors? That's what's going to be important for you to consider. Third, the source of obedience is found in our connection to Jesus. Again, he gets at this when he talks about we are in him, or he uses the language of abiding in Jesus in verse 6. Scripture teaches in many places that when one becomes a believer in Jesus, we're spiritually united to him. His spirit comes to dwell within us. And because of this, because the spirit of God lives in us, we cannot help but be different. We cannot help but be changed. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying we're passive in this. Scripture does not teach that our spiritual growth is something where we're merely passive and God does all the work. Um, Paul teaches in places like Colossians 3 that we make effort to put off the old behaviors. We make effort to put on godliness. And so we partner with God in this spiritual transformation. But we need to remember that it's effort that is energized by the life of God within us. We cannot change our lives on our own. The source of obedience is always our connection to Jesus. It's a real living spiritual connection. There's real power there. There's real strength there. Fourth, the focus of obedience is Jesus, not rules. The focus of our obedience is Jesus not rules. When, when John says that we ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked, he's saying that Jesus is the model. You know, the goal of the Christian life, the standard of the Christian life is not a whole bunch of rules. It's a person we follow. It's Jesus that we follow. It's about being disciples of Jesus and learning from him how to live. And, and this is what we're about as a church. We want to help all of us walk as disciples of Jesus. And, and when we think about Walking in the way that Jesus walked, we think if we love God, if we love one another, if we love our neighbors, that, that we are in, in so much, you know, in large part walking in the way that Jesus walked. And so we want us all to be kind of growing in these things. The focus of obedience is Jesus, not a list of rules. And so let his life be the model. Let his life be the motivation for you. Our hope for all of us is, I mean, if, we're, if Jesus is the model then we, we need to know him, right? We have to get to know him. And so the way we do that is developing rhythms of coming to his, him and through the word, through prayer, uh, gathering like we do on Sunday mornings. We look at him, we understand him, and then we follow his life. The focus of obedience is Jesus, not a list of rules. Fifth, the motivation for obedience is love for God. And John makes this connection in verse 5 when he says that if we keep his word, that, that love, our love for God is perfected. Sometimes when we see areas of disobedience, there's areas that we're struggling in, some area, you know, areas that we're stuck in, what we do is we just vow to try harder. We make a promise that next time I'm going to do right, right? 
We've all been there. We've all done this. And again, we, we do have to make effort. That is part of the deal. But if there, there are areas in which you are struggling to obey, and we all have areas in which we're struggling to obey, what it reveals is that there's a deficiency in our love for God, right? And so even as you make commitments to try harder, yes, um, it's, it's love for God that motivates obedience. And so my encouragement in these places where you're stuck and you're struggling is to contemplate who God is. Contemplate how much he loves you. Contemplate his goodness. Remember what he did for you on the cross. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus taught that it's he who has forgiven much who loves much. And so if there's some deficiency in my love, one of the best places to go is to remember how much he's forgiven me and let that stir up my love and affection for God. Because when, when love is right, when, it, when, when I love God rightly, it will do what it's intended to do. It will lead us to obedience. And so the motivation for obedience is always love for God. I mentioned at the start that like a you are here map at the mall that John wants to help us know where we're at. He wants to give us spiritual orientation in terms of where we are at with God. And so he gives us this test of obedience. A lifestyle of obedience is evidence that one truly knows God. And so if you see that, if you see that in your life, praise God, thank God, be encouraged by what you see. But if on the other hand, you don't see a lifestyle characterized by obedience, what John has written here is still so helpful because he's helped you understand where you are at and next steps that you can take. And next steps would be to trust God, to believe in him, to press into him. Ask that he would give you faith. Ask that he would help you understand. May we all seek God. May we all truly know him and live lives of obedience. Can you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful that even as Logan prayed earlier, that, that your word reads us. Thank you for how it just lays bare the truth of things. And Father, we thank you for, for, for this word from John and this part of this book and uh, this test of obedience. God, for those that, that see new desires and, and growing lifestyles of behavior, of, of obedience, God, we, we give you thanks. We praise you. Uh, we are encouraged. For any who have doubts, who have questions, who wonder, God, lead them. Give them truth. Reveal yourself to them that they may truly know you, may truly experience you. God, may the model of Christ be what motivates us. May it be our love for you that spurs us on to obedience. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.